Welcome to Dog Talk and Kitties 2. This episode features one of the three guests on my hour-long NPR show, heard every Sunday on WLIW-FM 88.3, the only NPR station on Long Island, where it has broadcast continuously for 14 years. I'm Tracy Hotchner. I wrote the Dog Bible, Everything Your Dog Wants You to Know, as well as the Cat Bible, Everything Your Cat Expects You to Know, because I care about people who care about cats, dogs, and other creatures who share our planet. I'm also the founder and director of the New York Dog Film Festival and the New York Cat Film Festival, which travel America and Canada supporting local animal welfare groups. I could not bring you this show without the support of Dr. Elsie's, the privately owned litter and cat food company founded by Dr. Elsie, a feline-only veterinarian who's created a variety of litters to please any cat, as well as inventing clean protein cat foods based on the protein found in cats' natural prey. This show is also made possible with the generous sponsorship of Waruva, the family-owned foreman pet food company named after their rescued kitties, Webster, Rudy, and Vanessa, where all their recipes in cans and pouches are human edible because they're made in a human food facility. Good enough for you to eat, but your cats won't appreciate that. I met one of the most inspiring veterinarians I've ever met at the veterinary conference that I went to in Orlando called VMX. And why I wanted to meet him was because I had understood that he was doing work for the homeless in Los Angeles, veterinary work for the pets of the homeless in Los Angeles, which those of you who've been following me for a long time know is a really big passion topic for me. The homeless people experiencing homelessness and the animals who live with them and the importance of those relationships and the dearth of compassion or kindness from average citizens and certainly a complete lack of care for the people and their pets. So Quan Stewart was someone I really had as like a good, maybe the main reason I wanted to go to VMX. I got to meet this guy. And boy, Quan, you are just everything I could have imagined. You're so, you're so big hearted and humble at the same time. And you had a vision of something that sounded to me like, really, he does that? And you do that. And it's, sort of become who you are and your your energy has flowed out to a lot of other veterinarians who are inspired by what you're doing and want to do it themselves. But I'd like to to just say how much I admire you for having done something that doesn't have any social value for most people. It's like, you're doing what for the homeless? It doesn't have any kind of sexiness, if you will. It's so basic. It's so profoundly grassroots. And I think that's why it has such a resonance for a lot of people and a lot of people who have never experienced homelessness and kind of get how lucky we all are, how many people might be one paycheck away from not having a home and what those relationships with their dogs and cats mean to them. So welcome to the show. Congratulations for having had a vision in a moment of almost personal crisis that has turned out to shed so much goodness and light in the world. Can you tell everybody the story of who you were as a vet before you became Project Street Vet? Yeah, I will. And what may come as a little bit of a surprise to you and anyone listening is I didn't have a vision in the beginning. I, I don't know if it was some sort of divine intervention or... Uh, a little bit of luck or good fortune or destiny or just 
me sort of seizing the moment and then everything else happening the way it was supposed to. But when I started doing this work, I was at the end of my rope. I was in fact going to quit not just the shelter position I had at the time. I was, uh, my title was County veterinarian, but that is just a glorified title for shelter vet. And as a shelter vet, unfortunately during the recession, which is when I decided to take the job in a, in a, a pretty depressed, low socioeconomic area of California, I was, I was just not prepared for the job. High euthanasia, extremely, unfortunately, high euthanasia. This is a municipal shelter. We can't turn anything away. By 10 a.m. some mornings, I'm euthanizing 50, 60 animals, some of them healthy. I never envisioned when I left vet school in, in 97, uh, Colorado State had the dream to practice on the beach. So going back oh, to where wow. I was, wow. where all this started, <laughs> I was, I grew up in New Mexico in the high desert. I went to school in Colorado, veterinary school. The day I graduated, I packed up my old Mustang and drove straight to San Diego. No my dream was to be near the water and the ocean and the sea, you know, all the little things that danced in my head when I yes. was a kid, practicing medicine, my dream, but do it on a beach city. And that's what I did. I came out to San Diego and life began in 97, my, you know, the next chapter of my life. And, and it was great. You know, the first 10 years I did associate work. I bounced around and as an associate, as a new veterinarian, you're just trying to find your place in the world yes. and did emergency work and worked at a few different practices and and then, for whatever reason, I decided to go to Modesto, California <laughs> in 2007. And it, various factors led me there. But I wanted to try shelter medicine. I, I didn't know much about it. It was, it was always of interest to me, sort of serving the underprivileged, the challenge of maybe turning around uh, a county system that was having a lot of issues. When I arrived there, they didn't have a vet. They hadn't had a vet in almost three years. Wow. And they were desperate for, for consistency and someone to step in and take it seriously. And I, I took on that challenge. I just didn't know. I didn't know it was going to lead to this, this particular day, which I'm about to uh, describe. Uh, on this day, and this is about three and a half, four years into the work, I was contemplating quitting the shelter. But as I said before, not, not just the shelter. I was In this moment, I was thinking about leaving the veterinary profession altogether. I... I, the euthanasias and some of the work was just stealing a part of my soul. I was having trouble coping. Mm -hmm. When you've never been depressed, I'm not sure you know exactly what that looks like, but I was having emotions and feelings I just hadn't really experienced before. And I, I just recall sitting in my, my car that day before I went to 7-Eleven thinking, I'm just going to turn around and go home. I stopped at the 7-Eleven because this is a place I frequent before work. I'd go in for gas or coffee often. Right. As I'm walking out with my coffee to my left, sitting in the corner, as you'll sometimes see an unhoused person, mm -hmm. you know, stashed in the corner, there was this gentleman with his dog, and I'd seen this guy before, and and passed him before, didn't even look his way, regrettably. I think sometimes the unhoused are like this invisible, absolutely secret society that live amongst us, and we we don't even want to make eye contact with them for fear they're going to call us over, ask for something, yep. and, and that's what I did to this guy, sadly. And walking out, something, I turned and glanced out the side of my eye, saw his dog. His dog had a very serious skin issue at a glance. 
And I broke pattern for whatever reason on this day. It, it, like I said, it, it may have been the convergence of a bunch of things, but I stepped over to him and I, I introduced myself. I said, I'm a Quan Stewart. I'm a veterinarian. I noticed your dog has a serious skin condition. I said, it looks like fleas. As bad as it is, it just looks like a flea issue to me. And fleas will do that to the skin of a dog. For anybody listening, if, you have, if a dog has fleas long enough, chronically and, and, and severe enough, it can completely destroy the skin. This dog looked like a burn victim on its wow. hind end. It was, the hair was gone. The skin was red and bumpy, infected. In some places, it was oozing. The, the dog just looked depressed. The man was just exasperated. He just w- wanted help. And I said, you know, I'll be back tomorrow with something that will probably help. I returned and $3 out of my pocket to treat the fleas, five minutes of my time. Saw the same dog later, 10 days later, and it was transformed. Wow. The hair was coming back. The skin was healing. The dog was wagging its tail. And the man sitting in the same spot looked up at me with tears in his eyes. And he just said, thank you for not ignoring me. Wow. And that was, wow. that was the, the street that was born. I decided in that moment I was going to get back to um, serving animals. And I was going to do it for passion, not for pay. And that, that was 12 years ago, and I haven't stopped. It's such a, an important story because something I have really talked about a lot on the show and, and in the Dog Film Festival, invited any number of films, which I think I mentioned to you when we, when we met in person, particularly in Buenos Aires, entire colonies of people living on the streets with dogs and all of them being treated like dogs, as the expression would go. Another one that was set in Athens, same thing, during the, the severe financial repre- de- recession in, in Athens, in Greece generally, but in Athens, people and dogs living on the streets, all of them ignored. And and there's something about the person who steps forward and says, I see you and I care. Even in your darkest moment, you were able to connect your humanity with this man's humanity. And it was the dog who was the bridge. And of course, being a veterinarian, there was something you could actually do for three bucks and a couple of visits of your time, the first one and the second one. And I think that to feel the reward that what you do matters to the human and the dog, maybe in some cases cats as well, less frequently on the street, it has to be such a rewarding, fulfilling feeling in that moment that to go back to regular life. Now, the regular life in your case was a shelter that was draconian in the the amount of murder that you had to do, you know, kind, gentle murder. And of course, that sucked your soul out and made you depressed. And now there's an awareness in the veterinary field of not one more vet. There's enormous amount of depression, suicides and suicide attempts. It's not only shelter vets, just the, the practice of euthanasia is really, really hard even if it's to well-heeled people and well-heeled animals. But I think that there are people working in vet clinics who may be exasperated in a different way, whether it's with people on the staff, whether it's with owners who are entitled or rude or, or don't take their advice. I think what you've done is show that there's another way to be a doctor and another way to be a fellow human. And I, don't, I think it's really important that as many people as possible hear your story because I think that the goodness you're doing, and you have now made this your life's work, you don't work in a clinic or a shelter anymore. You are Project Street Vet. And Fetch Insurance, Fetch by Dodo, underwrote 
your efforts and continues to, uh, I don't, read something that they did one fundraising thing and got $300,000. Your brother who works with you to help manage your busy life, I, it sounded like in the snap of fingers. I think anybody would say, you know, I've turned my blind eye on too many people in trouble. And so I would like to give you the support in monetary form to do this witnessing of suffering. I think it really has to do with being a witness. And I think that it's just so easy to turn away rather than turn towards. And yet what you've done is allow these people to feel seen and cared about. And you've done it through their animals. I have so many photos that your brother sent of you on the street with loads of different people with different tents and sidewalk living. And there, there's a who seems to be a, a female vet technician who goes with you. Is that true? Do you have a sidekick, so to speak? Yeah, Genesis. She's, she is. She's, uh, I'm San Diego-based. She's L.A.-based. I do a lot of my work in, in L.A. and she'll, she'll meet up with me. And it's all volunteer. I, I volunteer all of my time oh and, my and, and all the people that uh, contribute their time to this effort and this mission, they all do the same. And, and for years now, we'll just meet up in Skid Row or various areas around L.A., and she's my right hand. She's a registered veterinary tech, very Amazing. experienced, very compassionate. And she's the emotion and tears behind the work. I try and hold, hold it together. Genesis, I think, cries every time we go out. <laughs> I believe that. I mean, it's really hard for me to, to keep it together just praising you for what you're doing. I have such a profound discouragement with us as humans that we have so many other fellow human beings living in squalor without medical care, without food, without shelter, without a way to bathe, without any chance of recovering their dignity. And the ones who emotionally have that lifeline of a pet have that one little shred to hang on to, you know, of somebody, if they think of their animal as a buddy, somebody who who does get them and care about them and is there for them. It, the importance of their pets to them is gigantic, but shame on our society for insisting that they're invisible and then bulldozing these little encampments that they've tried in desperation to make. It's got to be really hard to not be emotional and good for Genesis for continuing to feel the emotion. I imagine that part of what caused your depression when you worked in the Modesto shelter was that you had to put to sleep 50 or 60 animals every day before 10 a.m., and you couldn't show any emotion. You couldn't function if you were feeling bad and wondering who these dogs were and where they'd come from and what a good life they could have had if it weren't for their lousy fate to wind up right on your table. It's, I think it's a philosophical situation that you simply walk this path down the middle of something, which could be a political debate or a socio-political debate, and you're just doing good. And I, I look forward to, in the weeks ahead, interviewing some of the veterinarians who have been so inspired by you that they have started to do Project Street Vet work and have some of the funding that you get from Fetch can go towards them with some supplies and identification shirts for themselves and, uh, I guess, forms that they have to get the homeless people to sign to uh, to allow them to give veterinary care. I mean, there's all kinds of ramifications. It's not just jump out of your car and find a parking space and, you know, go investigate how the dogs are. It's complicated. 
How, I mean, it's none of my business, but if you take absolutely no money, how do you live? I doubt you're a trust fund baby. No, I'm not. I, uh, I come from two pretty average, hardworking parents. And I've been a veterinarian for 25, going on 26 years now. But you, you see that, or you, you, you see me in a clinic setting, and you see me drive off in a decent car, and you know I've been in this game for a long time, you probably would assume I'm, I'm very well off. I'm not. I still live a pretty modest life. In fact, and, and this will come as even more of a surprise to anybody who's listening, I just paid off my student loans wow. not very long. After, wow. after 20 years. And veterinarians, we just don't make what our human counterparts or you know, physicians make. Neither do technicians. I, it, it is a struggle. It's, it's sometimes hard to stay in this profession because you're experiencing burnout and emotion. Yes. You have such heavy student loan debt. And then your technicians or our nurses, which we rely on heavily, they're getting paid, in some cases, minimum wage. And these are experienced uh, committed people who've been doing this in some cases for many years and, and they're making, you know, $15, $17 an hour. When again, their, their human counterpart nurses on the human side are probably making three to four times that. Right. And they belong and to so, a union. Yeah. And, and so for a lot of reasons, it, it, it is difficult. So no, but to answer your, your, your question and in, in full transparency, I have managed to, you know, to save some money, uh, I, I worked hard, very hard for many, many years, and the thing that is really keeping me afloat now is, yes, this is work I do and I, I commit a lot of time to, but I still have to work outside of that. I don't work in a normal clinic setting anymore, and, and if I'm being honest with you, it's because I am somewhat burnt out. It, it, is, it, it is hard for me still to perform a euthanasia. Uh, it's... It's emotionally taxing in some moments to have to sit with that family. In some cases, yes. euthanize a dog. It's almost like your own family member because yep. I've seen it from from the time it was three months That's old right. to now it's 12 years old, 15 years old, and it feels like it's my pet too. And then a moment later, after the euthanasia, I have to step into room two and welcome a new puppy owner That's who's right. excited. And I, you just have to see this face change, and I'm, I feel like an actor and this range of emotion within a matter of hours and the course of a day and a course of a week. And it's hard. It's hard. And doing it now for as long as I have, I've, I've found my place that is giving care to these, these folks on the streets and their pets and the connection I make and the emotion and gratitude, the gratitude I feel and the positivity I feel from these people who are, they have no resources. They, a lot of cases, they have no plan. They have no family support. And you'll hear so many of them say, I'm going to be okay. You know, God has a plan for me, or I'm, I'm going to get out of this. I, I can't tell you how many times I've heard that. And then I will be in clinic with somebody who has more money than they'll spend in their lifetime, and they're complaining about the most inane Absolutely. things. Absolutely. Absolutely. Lack, lack of service last night at dinner. Or yes, yes. the issue with parking, or I just think, man... Maybe everybody needs, almost like serving in the military and, and understanding what discipline means and, and work ethic, maybe everybody needs to go out and spend some time on the streets to know really what you have, how fortunate we are in this country, so many of us. Uh, but when I spend time with them, I get that, and I see that, and it has completely rewired and reprogrammed my thinking. 
and and that is what it's given to me. On the side, I um, I've been fortunate that this mission has drawn so much attention lately that I have some brand partners and sponsors, Fetch and Dodo being one of them, who Good. supplies money, a lot of resources to the mission, but also to me personally. So some of these things that I, I've almost like being an athlete and you get a, a yes. shoe contract. I yes. have things on the side now that help support my lifestyle so I can devote, commit so much time to this. So it's, it's been wonderful. It's, it's kind of wonderful to think that having done this simply out of self-preservation, the preservation of others as a form of self-preservation or discovering that it gave you self-preservation, that it should turn into a big story. I mean, the the part that people can't hear on radio is that you're kind of movie star handsome. Sorry to be embarrassing, but you can't blush on the radio. But it's kind of like this added thing. Wow. I mean, who knows where this can go? I guess somebody wants to make a TV show about you, but I would love to just see you stay on the street doing what you're doing. And I'm sure if there was a TV show, it would be good and, and, and celebrate the story of what you're doing and the story of the people you're helping even more. I do want to say something about what you said about when I said trust fund baby. Um, it turns out there's some other terrible phrase that's out there, nepo baby. Have you ever heard of that for nepotism? No. Gross. There's so many. No. But I mean, I could tell you, well, because also you said you grew up in Colorado and like in the mountains and I want to go to the to the seaside. I just want to say you have two so, so not average parents. And I know you didn't mean average like in, in a banal way just regular folks. But I think to have raised a son with your strength and your motivation, but also your capacity to feel and to let yourself feel that as a young American male is very unusual. Most men are taught to not have feelings or show feelings or express them. And they did an amazing job raising somebody who can have a vision to create this nonprofit organization, which is you in Genesis, but it's become so much more, and smart you for having your brother to help do some of the the management of it, because then otherwise you'd spend all your time answering phone calls or doing interviews like this, and you couldn't, I feel guilty, like I took you off the street, you know, to do this interview, and you could be doing good on the street right now, but the, the waves is kind of a ripple effect, and these other, other vets in L.A. and in Atlanta, and I'm sure others listening, there's a lot of vets and vet techs who listen to the show, and I hope you will all be inspired not to necessarily find the time you don't have on the side to do this, but maybe discover there is a way to shift how you're being a veterinarian and protect yourself emotionally and protect the skills you have and why you went into the profession and have and be able to see every day the wonderful difference you're making. I think you're truly inspirational, Quan, and I'm certainly late to the party to tell you that. You've been doing this for quite a while now, but I'm I'm just so grateful to have met you and honored to to be able to do everything I can to say that projectstreetvet.org is a place people need to visit. You want to give some money, that's fine. I really want you to go there and look at the pictures. See what Quan is doing. Sometimes with Genesis by his side, sometimes not. Look at the faces of the people he's helping. Look at the faces of the dogs and cats he's helping. These are real human beings. They're just like us. They're not alien. They're not other. So Quan has made them 
has humanized them for us and has celebrated their dogs and cats with the kind of care and love that we all get, we lucky people who have everything. So the next time you're feeling a little frustrated about something, go to projectstreetvet.org and see what it looks like to have another kind of life and be grateful for what you have. Quan, thanks for being here. Thanks for the work you're doing and continue to do, and also the vision you have of who a doctor can be and who a human being can be. I really admire you. I appreciate that, and I, I, I thank you for the kind words. And and yes, my, my parents would be would be proud to hear that uh, I do think of them often, and you did recognize them. Thank you. They're a big part of who I am today and who I'll continue to be. And And I love the work I do. Uh, when it, as you said, when it comes to uh, almost helping me yes. more in, in some moments than I am helping them, that's how all this started. And it is my way of self-care and, and continued self-preservation is helping others and, and feeling the reward in the moment with who was a complete stranger moments ago, but as I walk away is now a friend or someone I know. Yes. And that keeps me moving down the road. So, so thank you so much. Well, I look forward to, to talking to you another time. I know you've been invited to be on the Diversity Committee of the California Veterinary Medical Association, and I'm going to be very interested to hear what that experience and position is like for you. But today I just want to focus on Project Street Vet. Thank Fetch by Dodo for, for recognizing your greatness and underwriting it and continuing to underwrite it. And to other vets out there, you too can be part of this goodness. So. Don't hesitate to go to projectstreetvet.org and learn more about what, what, what can happen in your own town. Thank you. Thank you for listening. There are a few more special companies that make this show possible. I hope you will support all of these companies because they stand behind my mission, which is to bring you delightfully informative Pet Talk Radio. Earth Animal, which is privately owned by Dr. Bob and Susan Goldstein, creates holistic pet wellness products with an emphasis on their stewardship of the Pet Sustainability Coalition. They make many non-chemical products for the inside and outside of your pets, as well as innovative foods like no-hide chews and the hybrid dry food wisdom, which sometimes is all that my Weimaraner Maisie will eat. I'm very grateful also to Evermore Pet Food, privately owned by two extraordinary women, Allison and Hannah, who cook dog food from the most pristine human edible ingredients and ship it to your door in frozen pouches. It's higher quality and more ethically sourced than my own food. Thanks again for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this one guest version of Dog Talk and Kitties 2, and we'll listen to other episodes sometime soon.